You're listening to the Ancestral Elements Podcast. I'm your host, Travis Gray. Join me as we cover topics about nutrition, health, and lifestyle so you can have ancestral health in a modern world. Hey, and welcome back to the Ancestral Elements Podcast, episode 25, Obesity. A Nutritional Genomics Approach to Fat Loss. This episode is also brought to you by Ancestral Elements Supplements. If you're looking for functional whole food supplements that provide foundational nutrition to your active lifestyle, check out Ancestral Elements Supplements. You can find it on AncestralElements.com. Okay, so this episode I want to dive into concepts on and surrounding obesity. I want to specifically go over genetic predispositions for obesity how that gets passed down generationally, what can be done about it, because it turns out that obesity isn't necessarily the fate of your genes. It has much more to do with the epigenetics surrounding your genome. And so we're going to learn how to support and regulate that process. So the best place to start with obesity is a why question. Why is obesity so prevalent, especially within Western countries and the United States in particular? In the United States, 42.4% of adults are obese, and it's on the rise. It's about 12% higher than it was just 18 years ago. And it's easy to forget how severe obesity actually is. It comes with an onslaught of comorbidities, and your life on average is a lot shorter, and you become a lot less healthier. We're just so accustomed to it that we don't even really think about it. A matter of fact, there's a movement to try to normalize it and pretend that it's healthy. So obesity is classified by having a BMI, a body mass index of 30 or higher. And you get that number by taking your weight in kilograms, dividing it by meters squared. Now with any broad equation like this, it's not going to be exactly accurate because BMI isn't necessarily a perfect indicator of health. It's just one basic parameter. So, for example, if you are 5'5 and 180 pounds, that could be that you have a massive amount of musculature and still a really low fat percentage, but you could be in the overweight to obese category, according to this BMI statistic. Obviously, you're going to know if somebody is actually obese or their BMI is just wrong because of the height to weight ratio that they have. So never look at BMI alone when if you're looking at somebody's health. That's a really poor indicator of actual health. You have to actually look at the person. So I always take kind of BMI statistics and obesity rate statistics with a little bit of a grain of salt because they're obviously not actually looking at each individual person who is under a technical category of obese. But you shouldn't be throwing that away either because 42% of adults being obese is extremely high. And it's somewhere in that vicinity. Could be a little bit lower, might even be a little bit higher. So what I'm getting at is there's an issue going on with adults Americans especially. So what's going on? Obviously, being overweight and obese in particular has to do with eating and nutrition. At the very basic level, you're dealing with more calories in than more calories out. Now, it is way more nuanced and way more complicated than that simple 
equation of calories in, calories out. And we're going to get way more specific than that. But that's kind of the preschool viewpoint of weight gain. Modern researchers have been looking for any type of answer regarding weight gain and obesity. They're looking for genes. They're looking for environmental hazards. They're looking for anything that they can specifically put their finger on so they can come up with some either drug or systematic approach to just quote-unquote eliminate obesity. And in fact, they have found genes that are correlated with obesity and somebody's ability to lose weight and hold on to weight. But it's not just a matter of going there and quote-unquote turning off a gene and you'll just start melting off the fat. Like anything in a biological process, it doesn't work that way. And so there's no magic bullet. There's no magic pill you can take that's just going to melt your pounds away. It's lifestyle, it's nutrition, and it takes work. So let's talk about some of those genes. The most prevalent one that's been studied is called FTO. And this gene is basically responsible for the fat mass that you or that somebody holds in their body. And it's just a specific gene that essentially will code for different amino acid profiles that turn themselves into proteins that indicate how much adipose tissue will be created. But in no way does this gene correlate to obesity. It only signals how adipose tissue is getting created. So turning it off doesn't actually make you skinny. It doesn't do anything. All it's doing is reflecting the current state and your current physiology that you're in. And that's where I think the popular culture gets confused when it comes to genetics because they forget that genetics is a two-way street. They forget that you your genetics change based on your environment and based on your internal environment, meaning the nutrition and the lifestyle that you're leading. It doesn't mean that your genes just create everything that's going on in your body and you have no control. You have nothing but control. And this is why taking only a genetic approach to eliminating obesity is foolhardy. I mean, it literally is a very, very foolish thing to study. I mean, there's over 50 genes in the human genome that can, quote unquote, contribute to obesity or that are associated with obesity. But mostly that's because they're looking at those genes in obese people. And the more weight you put on, the more physiology in your body is going to have to change to keep you in homeostasis. Because if it didn't, you would die instantly. Typically, that results in elevated glucose levels and insulin resistance. And that's really what we're talking about. And usually that'll lead to type 2 diabetes. And then you get muscular changes with that as well. FTO in the muscle itself, in the skeletal muscle, will change and it'll essentially kind of shut down because there's so much fat and insulin receptors that should be flagging glucose to get it out of the bloodstream and to metabolize and to control inflammation literally can't get through the fat. They get embedded in people's fat tissue. And that's the mechanism for insulin resistance. And once that starts to happen, it starts changing the function of the pancreas. Your enzymes start to shift in your body, all your digestive enzymes that get dumped into the small intestine and into the duodenum. And that starts to change your microbiome. And that is where things start to change on an epigenetic level and on a mitochondrial DNA level. Obesity reverberates through the entire body and through your entire genome. That's clear. You 
even can measure obese people's saliva versus normal weight individuals. And the saliva enzymes and digestive enzymes that are in your saliva vary drastically compared to obese and normal populations of people. On an energy level or mitochondrial level in the cells, you get demethylation. So methyl groups become unhooked and that can start a whole other cascade of mitochondrial malfunctions that end up having to try to stabilize themselves and robbing more energy so they can't burn fat and calories as quickly. And then you have changes to the endocannabinoid system where the CB1 receptor or the cannabinoid receptors that regulate hunger start to change and shift in obese people. And that can trigger different hormone release, like ghrelin, which is considered the hunger hormone. So if you get hungry, you have elevated levels of ghrelin in your blood circulating. In obese people, ghrelin level is actually up to 33% lower at any given time, which sounds like it could be a good thing because it would suppress hunger, but that's actually not true. It's the inverse of that. Again, because it's the blocking of those receptors that cells aren't able to detect ghrelin spikes in obese people. Just like insulin receptors get blocked by fat, it's a similar mechanism with ghrelin. So you have these circulating low levels, and that's largely down to impaired stomach mucosa. See, so these things are tied together very, very tightly in this biological system. And when you start throwing excess of anything into that system, whether it's adipose tissue, toxins, stress, whatever it is, it will lead to dysfunction and dysfunction throughout the entirety of the body. Another interesting thing about ghrelin is it's also the inverse of leptin. Now, high leptin circulating in the body will lead to impaired fat loss. And that's what you see in obese populations. They have low circulating ghrelin, but they have really high leptin levels. And so they aren't able to burn off fat like somebody could in a healthy weight range. See, so it's physical changes like that physiological changes. When somebody has excess weight, has been carrying it around for a long time, that don't make this just about calories in versus calories out. It's far more nuanced, and you have to approach things far more nuanced. And it's not just about increasing exercise. You can never out-train a bad diet, as the adage goes. You have to learn how to eat and manage your nutrition in order to fix these underlying physiological changes that have occurred due to obesity. I mean, it is as simple as diet and exercise, absolutely. But it's also far, far more complicated than just diet and exercise. Like anything in your body, your body adapts to it. Your body adapts to being obese. You have what's called regulatory hubs that are essentially built into your genome, built into the genetic components that make you you and make your body function. And what these regulatory hubs are, they're these pieces in the chromatin that will, man, they'll essentially adapt to whatever external factors and internal factors you're continually putting in your body. And they'll be like your steady eddies of your cells. They will just kind of latch on to whatever patterns you put your body into and you put your physiology into, and they optimize those patterns. They take advantage of those patterns, whether it's caloric patterns or external 
stimuli patterns like exercise or good air versus bad air, you know, whatever it is. These regulatory hubs will basically optimize whatever you're continually doing to your physiology. So when you talk about breaking old habits or breaking old patterns, old eating patterns or exercise patterns, you're breaking those down all the way down to your genome. And that's how your genome starts to change because something is different and it only wants to compensate. Your body only does what the stimuli coming into it allows it to do. Your body doesn't do anything bad. There's always a reason. There's always an underlying mechanism going on for your body to be doing the thing that it's doing. Any disease, any health, anything at all, if you're alive, there is a reason your body is doing that. You should never, ever feel like you're a victim of your body because you never are. You've done that to your body. You're the one in control of your body. I know that might be new to some of you. And that might sound a little weird. It shouldn't, but people need to hear that. And you really need to realize it. You are in complete control of your body and of your physiology. And the only way you change, for better or worse, is to change the stimuli that happens from your external environment or your internal environment. Because your genes are your genes. And you can't actually change your literal DNA but you can change how they function and what's expressed. And that's what those regulatory hubs are really about. They help optimize that expression. So you have what's called transient hubs and then permanent hubs. And they just basically optimize the mechanical type process that goes on in your gene expression, essentially, is what they're doing. All right, so let's jump into how people get to achieving obesity. People get to an obese state slowly. You don't just wake up massively obese, morbidly obese. You get to obesity by not having a good diet. So it's void of nutrition where your cells start to not have cellular nutrition and cellular energy through the mitochondria to optimally function. And then they don't detox well. And then you start laying on fat because fat is also a buffer for a toxic environment. And that's exactly what happens when your cells don't have the redox pathways opened up. They start holding onto old dead stuff that starts to alter their functionality. And that creates a change, a cellular change through your tissues and down to the genetic level to where your body holds on to fat easier. I mean, it's taken multiple generations for us to get to a 40 plus percentage of adult people being obese. It's taken a lot of generations. And the more generations perpetuate obesity to the next generation and the following generation, the worse they're set up because they take that mitochondrial DNA, they take their parents' and grandparents' DNA, and they're set up for a propensity for obesity. And then their kids are set up for obesity. And this cycle goes on and on and on. So the only way you can break this cycle is if you take care of your body and your nutrition. And if you've already had kids and grandkids, then take care of your body and teach them how to take care of theirs because that's how you fix it. That's the only way to fix this. And you can get passed down really harsh genetics that lean towards increased fat percentage. 
and increased propensity to hang on to fat, no matter what your diet is. But you can always change it. That's the thing. It takes time, it takes dedication, but you can change it. But change it through nutrition first, before exercise, because that is going to be the biggest physiological change that you can approach obesity from, is through food and nutrition, essentially through the microbiome. And what neurotransmitters, what amino acids are being derived from the microbiome and getting stored in your tissues? What are you building your body from? Is really the foundational question you should be asking yourself if you are dealing with weight gain or obesity. Chances are you're probably building your body from foods that are very calorie dense, but nutrition poor. In other words, probably you're, if you're obese right now, you're probably building your body with a lot of processed carbohydrates that are of high caloric value, but poor nutrition. And what that does is it leaves your cells wanting more and it leaves leptin levels very high in your body. And remember, leptin levels that are high in the body impair fat loss. And that will lead to endocannabinoid receptor change. And so you'll have cravings. A lot of times that are still there even after you eat. So when you're stoned, for example, when you smoke marijuana, cannabis, then a lot of people get hungry, right? And it feels like you can just eat and eat and eat. Not that I would know anything about that. <laughs> um, and so you get the munchies, right? But you have cannabinoid receptors in your body, and it's a complete system, right? So you have this mechanism that works with ghrelin, works with leptin levels to basically change the environment of those receptors. And what do you do when you have cravings and are have serious hunger? You want to run towards carbohydrate because biologically, that's the quickest energy source that we burn. It provides you with those sugars that your body just completely utilizes. But it's easy to overeat and they're easy to overconsume. And so then they get stored as fat. And then if you pile on a slightly toxic environment, if you're dealing with basically an urban environment, you're going to have some toxicity if you're not regularly trying to detox things. That leads to further impairment of fat loss and further concentration, especially of visceral fat, fat around the organs, which is coincidentally the highest risk adipose tissue you can have in the body is around the organs because that once the organs start getting impaired, then you have some serious poor health outcomes associated with that. And that's what's measured when they measure this fat gene or this FTO. They measure it in visceral fat typically because that's where it's seen the most because it's the most dangerous. And that's where you have the most metabolic change is when you carry that abdominal fat. Uh, and so you get these various physiological changes little by little that make it harder and harder to lose weight even when you're exercising. I mean you hear that complaint with overweight or obese people all of the time. I exercise a lot but I just can't seem to lose the weight. Well this is why. This is what's going on inside your body that makes that so hard to accomplish. So change your nutrition first and then incorporate more movement and exercise. And you'll see the weight start to come off. It might not be instant because things take time, just like it took time to get obese. It's going to take time to lose the weight, and that's okay. And the best way to take care of your nutrition, to make sure you're not eating 
high caloric food with low nutrition value. Eat nutritionally dense foods that give you satiety, that keep you full. Animal protein is a great one. It's a great go-to. It's much better than those bags of chips you have sitting in your pantry right now. It'll keep you fuller longer. And yes, it's true that fiber will keep you fuller longer, but that's only true if you have good digestive enzymes from the pancreas. And what happens when you have insulin resistance? Your pancreatic enzymes get depleted and you don't have good digestive enzymes. So that fiber that's sitting in your gut doesn't get broken down as it should and to utilize it into soluble fiber. Otherwise, it's going to cause bloating and gas and you're going to be uncomfortable and you're not going to want to exercise or move. And that's where things go awry. That's where things usually fall off the rails. Because if people try to just eat a ton of high fiber, rich fiber foods, and they don't have the gut microbiome to properly digest in the gut, then they're going to end up sitting on the couch, laid up, feeling like shit. So start with higher fat, higher protein foods that are going to keep you fuller longer. I don't ever recommend cutting food or cutting calories out of your diet. That's silly. You're not supplying your body with good nutrition then. You're just depriving yourself and you're not going to stick with a diet. So don't do that. With a higher fat, higher protein content food, you won't have to eat as many calories. Because again, the very, very, very preschool understanding of all this is calories in, calories out, right? So you want low calories, but really high nutrition if you want to lose weight and lose fat in particular. That's what you're aiming for in this diet. You can still eat a varied diet, but just lean a little bit heavier on higher satiety foods, foods with higher proteins and higher fat content, and eat less of them. That's key. Eat less. Throw in some intermittent fasting if you need to, and you'll start to reset the physiology. The bad physiology that has been keeping that weight on will start to get adjusted if you do that type of diet. You'll start to see weight come off easier when you start exercising and moving. Because really, weight gain comes down to two broad categories. It comes down to battling sedentarism, and it comes down to a lack of satiety. That's how you start putting weight on in the first place. It's a lack of movement and a lack of being full. But honestly, I wouldn't recommend going towards a plant-based diet if you're obese because chances are your microbiome is so beat up and so void of beneficial bacteria that's going to break those plants down. You're going to end up maybe in a worse place than you would if you were to just maintained the current diet that you're eating. And they're not going to keep you that full. I mean, how many vegan meals have really just satisfied your appetite? Not many. They really don't. I mean, vegans are always hungry because the fat content and specifically the saturated fat content just isn't really there. Not long term anyway. I mean, you have to eat a lot of calories if you're eating a plant-based diet or if you're eliminating animals altogether. You really do. And that can be a bad recipe for somebody who's already overeating calories. Because if they don't get full, then they're going to run to high caloric foods that are going to make them full, but have little to no nutrition. I'm not saying it isn't possible to approach a change of diet and lose weight off of a plant-based diet, because it absolutely is. But it takes a lot of discipline, and it can be uncomfortable, and it can take 
a lot of time for the microbiome to kind of kick back up. It can be done, but you need to know that going in, that it's going to be uncomfortable and you're going to be really, really hungry. And if you can battle through hunger pains and not overconsume garbage calories with no nutrition, then I'm all for it. But a lot of times that doesn't seem to be the case. And it's not really just a matter of willpower and mind over matter. Because again, you have these regulatory hubs that are built into your genetic sequence that are used to optimizing what you've been doing, right? And so the minute you switch that with a bit of an extreme diet, it's a shock to the system. And that takes time to regulate out. It takes time for those regulatory hubs to switch. You see what I mean? And that changes the microbiome and changes the neurotransmitters that are being sent to the brain and created and changes the concentration of them, right? So you get this fundamental shift when you start playing around with different diets. You need to find one that fits you and suits you, and that very well could be a vegan or plant-based diet, but it's not always the case. Typically, the easier option for most people is to eat high satiety foods so they don't end up over-consuming calories, because that ghrelin will be produced by the stomach. It'll travel up to the brain and switch the brain off. It'll switch that hunger response off in the brain. But a lot of times, since people have been obese for a period of time, again, that ghrelin response is compromised. And so making sure you're getting good satiety becomes extremely important. But you need good satiety with low calories. And with exercise, just make sure you have really good adequate muscle tone. Because muscle at rest is going to burn 10 times more calories than fat. So if you can keep tone through the body and through the musculature, you're going to be way better off burning calories at rest than you would if you weren't putting on muscle mass. So lifting weights and resistance work becomes very, very important as well. And then you're looking at detox factors too, making sure that you're getting into cold bodies of water or some, maybe some cryotherapy or a sauna, sweating, making sure you're drinking lots of water and flushing things through the body. All of that becomes important to shedding excess body fat. Again, especially visceral fat. And as you start to lose excess fat, things will start moving and the system will start to kind of come back up online because your insulin resistance will start to get downplayed because that fat will start to be sloughed away and those insulin receptors can finally take up insulin and get glucose out of the blood. And once that happens, then the pancreas can function at an optimum level and it'll start producing better enzymes that start increasing digestion and increasing nutrient breakdown in the gut. And that'll start getting to the cells to supply the mitochondria and all of it starts working better. It's going to be a lot easier to start shedding weight, excess body weight. Once you hit that kind of biomarker, then things become exponentially easier. But a lot of times for people that have been obese for years and years, it takes a pretty drastic lifestyle change. And you have to keep that lifestyle up because, again, you have a little bit of a propensity built into those regulatory hubs that are going to want to store fat a little bit easier than somebody who's maintained an ideal body weight for their entire lives. 
So it's a bit of a, it can be a bit of a slog. And again, something to realize that you need to watch that a little bit more, but it's doable. But that's why it's so important if you are planning to have kids and you're overweight that you shed as much weight as you can because you're going to set up not only your kids, but their kids to be way better off on a genetic level for things like FTO, CB1 receptors, for neuromedin beta, which it comes off of ghrelin, which is another kind of regulatory mechanism when it comes to fat storage. And not to mention the chances of having a healthier baby increase pretty substantially the more weight you lose. I mean, that's why doctors encourage obese women that are trying to get pregnant to lose as much weight as they can because it's hard to get pregnant when you're obese because these systems get blocked. They get compromised. And your body isn't putting forth great genetics. And that's true of both men and women. So let's please not normalize being obese. It's not a normal biological state to be in. And it alters your biology. And this is how it alters your biology. It's not healthy. And it's not healthy for your kids and grandkids. I mean, it might be normal, but it isn't healthy. Having defunct mitochondrial health and impaired insulin production and poor nutrient breakdown through an impaired microbiota isn't healthy. And you get all of those things when you're obese. So just because the public doesn't want to fat shame, and let me be clear, I'm not down to shame anybody who's fat. I just want to get people healthy again. And that takes facing the facts about what your body is going through on a physiological basis. If you're wanting to lose weight, start with good whole foods. Start with the five kingdom approach, animal, bacteria, fungi, protist, plant. You can still eat a varied diet. Just start with very high protein, high fat, filling, satiety foods. They're going to supply your body with really good adequate nutrition and start reversing some of these biological norms that you've put your body into. And it takes time. It takes patience, it takes dedication and work, but it can be done and should be done. There is also one more way that you can get weight off. And it's one that I'm kind of hesitant to even talk about because really it's not a good way to do it at all. And that's surgery. So gastric bypass, lap band, anything like that, where you are essentially shrinking your stomach in half through mechanisms of surgery. It not only has very, very detrimental effects to your digestion and to what your body absorbs, it also doesn't teach you proper eating behavior surrounding food. Those are two very, very important distinctions to make when talking about obesity because you don't get obese unless you have a poor relationship with food. That's plain and simple. It just it doesn't happen overnight. You have to intend to gain weight. And it takes time to be obese. I mean, a lot of times when people get something like gastric bypass they gain the weight back. That happens over and over again. There's thousands of stories like that. And not only have you not solved the original issue, now you have a stomach that's been manipulated to where you don't have good absorption of adequate nutrients. And so 
you fundamentally handicap yourself in order to deal with a weight problem that had nothing to do with your stomach size to begin with. Are you with me on that one? It's not a good way to do it. It's an easy way to do it. It's an easy way to drop a lot of weight very, very quickly. But it is extremely unhealthy. And I wish that they would stop offering it. Because it's not a good route to go. You know, people face a lot of malabsorption issues with nutrients. Things like their ferritin levels, iron levels will, will drop. You know, vitamins become very, very depleted especially fat-soluble vitamins and things that need time to get into the body and into the cells. It's very hard to keep adequate nutrients when you shrink your stomach down to virtually nothing. Again, go back to the why question. Why are you eating so many calories? Or why are you eating the calories that you're eating? That's where you need to begin if you find yourself obese or overweight and just want to lose weight. You need to figure out what is driving you and what's driving that eating behavior because that's really what matters at the end of the day. It doesn't really matter about how healthy you're eating and, you know, how good of a job you're doing with your nutrition. You need to know why you're doing it. You need to know exactly why you're doing that. And if you don't, if that vision isn't clear, then of course you're not going to make good decisions. There's no background. There's nothing to fall back on. Again, that's why viewing nutrition through a five-kingdom approach and then through an ancestral lens, for me, it grounds it all to this place where I can fundamentally go back to at any point when I have complex questions about biology, how nutrients break down through a complex biological system, whatever it may be. That's the anchor point, and that's what I'm trying to get across to everybody listening to this, is why are you eating the food that you're eating? So just to kind of sum everything up towards the end here before we close out, high-protein, high-satiety foods are going to keep you full a lot longer than high-fiber and plant-based foods. And intermittent fasting's okay too. You know, being a little bit hungry... Letting your body be a little bit hungry is totally acceptable. You don't constantly have to have food all of the time. You can run on a little bit of a deficit as long as you're not cutting way too many calories out. Because just cutting calories out will put your body into a starvation mode. And it'll actually want you to hold on to fat more. It'll be easier to hold on to fat if you're chronically in a calorie deficit. So you don't want to do that. But you could do limited feeding windows. You could do some intermittent fasting and eat high satiety foods and keep it in perspective of this ancestral kind of five kingdom approach that I've talked about through this whole entire podcast. It's going to frame it and it's going to be a lot easier. It's going to take the guesswork out of what you should be eating. All you have to do is tweak it. Just up your animal foods a little bit. Up your fats just a bit. It doesn't even have to be all animal foods. It can be high plant fat foods too, like coconut oil or olive oil. And don't expect all this to happen overnight. You didn't get here overnight. It's not going to happen overnight. And that's okay. Be patient because your body's going to be a lot healthier in the long run if you lose this slowly and thoughtfully. 
and you don't just dive into a situation that you may have not thought about or thought every scenario through to the end. And again, the big question is why? Why are you eating the food that you're eating and why are you gaining weight? You already know the what question and you know how to accomplish that, so I don't need to go into huge detail. You know what to do. So if you want to do it, do it. Okay, this is going to do it for this week. Again, thank you for listening to another episode. I will talk to you guys next week. Stay safe, stay healthy. Thank you for listening to the Ancestral Elements podcast. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe on iTunes or Spotify and leave me a rating and review. This will help people find the podcast so we can grow the audience. Thank you so much for listening. And if you want to talk to me personally, go to ancestralelements.com slash community to get access to the forum. We go through each episode every week and talk about these concepts and ideas in greater detail, and you can connect with other listeners. 